I'm Floss and I'm so happy that you can join me today on Exactly. Today is a very special one. As with everything I've done, it's all about connecting women, connecting queer people. It's something that I always want to do with my work, whether it's writing books, doing the podcast or making art. My podcast Exactly is a permission slip for you to follow your curiosity. I want to encourage people to ask the hard questions, the uncomfortable questions, or just the stuff that you're interested in. Every month on the podcast, I'm hosting a listener call-in where myself and an expert will be answering your questions, queries, and your dilemmas. The first one is all about financial feminism and all things money. The second one's gonna be all about queerness, gender, and all things LGBTQ+. So if you have any questions on either of those topics, you can send me a message or a voice note via our podcast WhatsApp number at plus four four seven eight nine zero three zero two six six five. I'd also love to hear your suggestions for topics that you'd like covered in the future. As always, I love hearing from you. And so today I'm joined by the absolute icon that is Victoria Scone. Victoria Scone was the first cisgender woman to perform on RuPaul's Drag Race and is an actor, comedian and just all-round fucking babe. I'm so excited to talk to her today about body image, drag, sexuality and I think that she's going to offer a really unique perspective as a woman who uses art to really subvert people's expectations of gender. And as well as that, she's also bravely spoke about her relationship with eating disorders, something I myself have experience with and I know that a lot of women have experience with whether we talk about it publicly or not um, I remember I was so ashamed to even admit that it was something that I've been through and I can't believe I'm even at a point now where I'm saying that it's something I went through on a podcast to thousands of people but I think that the more we talk about this stuff we kind of release that valve of shame from it and when you speak things they become a lot easier to recover from actually and that's what Victoria does with her platform with being on Drag Race, with even being a drag queen, everything that she does. Victoria is also a lesbian and I'm so looking forward to talking to her about all things queer, all things queer culture and the representation that we all fucking need. I can't wait to talk to her today. Victoria, thank you so much for coming in today. I'm so excited to meet you in person. Before I get into the main part of the interview with all the questions I want to ask you, I'm going to go through my uh, quick fire questions that I ask all of my guests. So the yes. first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. Question number one, what's one thing that sets your soul on fire? Hmm. Myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a little bit more elaboration on that. What, elaboration? What, yeah. Um, this is supposed to be quick fire, but oh, yeah. I, want, I want a little bit more. Okay, well, I just really love what I do. And I, so I guess drag a little bit as well, because that's sort of taken over my whole life. Okay. Um, but that's the thing that makes me excited and make me want to get up in the morning. Oh, I love that. Yeah. When you love what you do, it's not work, is it? Yes. So. Yeah. Okay, amazing. <laughs> so question number two, what's the last thing you took a photo of? Um, can I check? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I've had it done. <laughs> I have a feeling it's River Medway. Yeah, so it's River Medway on the train on the way here. <laughs> We got afternoon tea. Oh, nice. Did you say you came from Birmingham? We came from Birmingham because we were on tour at the moment. Okay. So we had a show last night. Yes, and my, my favourite thing is afternoon tea. So my two favourite things there, River Medway and afternoon tea. Okay, nice. <laughs> Question number three. What's something that people frequently misunderstand or get wrong about you if they don't know who you are? Um, they usually think that I'm a, um, a cis man. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. I'm a drag queen. So, you know, that's maybe a bit understandable if you've okay. never been familiarised. So do you get that when you're in drag or out of drag? Uh, in drag. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay, next question. This last one. Uh, finish the sentence. I'm still a work in progress when it comes to... 
Oh, that's maybe going to get deep. <laughs> we can get deep. I'm still a work in progress when it comes to gender. Okay. Okay. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah, I feel like once, um, for me anyway, once you come out, um, after that, it just the whole gender thing starts yeah. up. Yeah, it, yeah, I get that Tip a lot. Tip of the iceberg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's such an amazing uh, thing you made history with being the first cisgender woman to appear yes. on RuPaul's Drag Race. Was that something that you felt proud of? Was it normal? Was it overwhelming? Hmm. So yeah, I was wondering what that experience was like for you being the first of something. Yeah, I mean, it's very exciting and um, maybe you'd think it would be very sort of have feel like a lot of pressure, um, but it felt very right at the time. Mm. It felt very correct. You know, it's good to be the first and all that, but yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, I just felt like, yeah, of course this is happening. It's the right time, the mm. right place. I think I was the right person for the job yeah uh, obviously Fuck yes I love hearing I love hearing women say that I know yeah. we, it does, I always say this that women don't talk enough about like how good they are at something yes like, men do it all the blue and I, I, I think we require women to be quite humble about themselves mm-hmm. in the public eye otherwise they're not liked yes. and there's this awful statistic that I hate that uh, men are liked more when they're successful yes. and women are liked less and I yeah. think we know this inherently so when I hear women talk about their accomplishments as I was the right fucking person to do that it makes me happy yes Absolutely, yeah. I think I was the right person for the job until the the knee injury. (laughs) And I let the world down. (laughs) So do you feel that that kind of environment was something that you were used to then? It wasn't like... um it wasn't unusual for you to be working around men a lot, all of the time. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah. totally used to it. Um, that's literally my job. You know, we're on tour right now with the season three a lot, and it's 11 of them. Uh, them? That sounds yeah. so mean. <laughs> them blokes. <laughs> them smelly boys. And one of me. So I've already been accused of putting toilet roll in the toilet in the bus, which I haven't done, just because I'm the only sit-down weir. It's not me. <laughs> I feel, I often feel so starved of uh, not queer representation, but queer women representation. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the last thing that was a full cast of bi and lesbian women uh, was the fucking L word and that was so Mm -hmm. long ago and it just sets my soul on fire that's one thing that sets my soul on fire Mm -hmm. is seeing queer women not just in like male dominated spaces but just anywhere on social media um, on the internet on TV do you feel like that that's something that's important to you. Absolutely, yeah. And now yeah. I feel like my answer was a uh, very self-indulgent. <laughs> Which answer? Which answer? The thing that sets myself. Oh no! Please, is myself. <laughs> I have multiple answers, but well, there's so many things that set my soul on fire, and no, one I of agree. them is seeing gay women. Yeah. Like, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And there's not enough. I always say it. You know, it's very lonely. Yeah. Out here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, we absolutely need more queer women representation, more more queer representation in general. Of course, nice. but yeah. whenever there is, it's usually a sort of gay man or a cis man. Um, so yeah, more more queer uh, representation is always what we're striving for. Yeah, I feel like I live in a very uh, a bubble. I feel like I live in a bubble, a very queer bubble, where I forget that other places don't have as much representation and other places aren't as open mm-hmm. with queer women representation. And I feel like unless you actively put yourself out there and are proud about who you are, there's this idea that queer, queer women just don't exist. Mm-hmm. And I've got friends and I know people who are queer women from different cultures and different parts of the world where they just don't think queer women exist. Mm-hmm. So it's actually safe to exist in homophobic uh, countries because they will never assume that you're gay if you're mm. a woman, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Yeah. There's an example of that I always speak about is in football, how... Okay. Um, and, like, women's football was just completely cancelled. It was, like, basically made illegal. Like, we couldn't do it 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, in the UK? Yeah. yeah. And how 
it wasn't even at that time it wasn't so it was illegal for men to be gay but it like wasn't even illegal for women to be gay because mm-hmm. it wasn't even considered that it was like a thing it was, yes. doesn't even exist which is like a double a double negative of like yeah. oh can it at least be it's acknowledged not, <laughs> it's not really taken seriously no. at all no um, something that strikes me about you and I don't know if this is true but from the outside looking in you seem to be a very joyful person mm. and joy matters so much to me as a creative because I think there's often this uh, tortured artist stereotype that mm. to be able to make art and create good art that you have to not be happy and that's what I really love about you and what you do is that you're, mm-hmm. you seem very joyful is that yeah, true? I think so yeah. yeah I think well like I said you know if you're not enjoying your work then you know it, well that's what makes it work you have to enjoy it and love it and I am very fortunate that I do love it but I think this is this like self-deprecating thing of, gosh, I have to think I'm lucky all the time. But I did work hard to yeah. be here. I did work. I did do this yes. myself. You mm-hmm. know? <laughs> I think that that comes back to, I resonate with that so much. That comes back to the thing about women having to be humble and continuously publicly grateful for absolutely mm. everything. Otherwise, uh, who does she think she is? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I feel that so much. Yeah. But we've uh, worked hard to get where we are. I know, I know. And then it's the constant proving and the perfectionism comes yeah. in and everything. Oh, yeah, it doesn't stop. Once you, you know, even if you get somewhere, you've got to prove that you deserve to be there. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then when, and then also helping other people into those rooms once you get in there, because you're like, fuck, well, there's not enough of me in this space. Mm-hmm. So, and trying to help other people into the rooms. Yes. Would you say um, that joy is a big part of your life with your creativity? Is it in, is it fueled by joy? Is it fueled by your adversity and stuff that you've been through? For me, it's like a bit of both. I think so. I think I know my experience that I've had and I know what I have been through to get where I am. So I do try and pass on the joy and like you say, bring other people up. Because if, you know, with the the platform that I have, if I don't use it for good for other people, then kind of what is it all for? Mm. Um, and with my job in general, it is about creating a joyful experience, like being yes. a drag queen. You're, you're at an event, you know, you're encouraging people to have a good time and mm. a party. So it literally you're an entertainer. Has to be, literally, yes. it's an entertainment. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Where Gosh, does... I'm lucky, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where, where does that... <laughs> Where does that come from for you, the, the joy? What is your source of joy? Is it, I know you've already said like doing what you do and stuff, yeah. but where does that come from? Were you always like this as a child? Yeah, I think very sort of maybe only child syndrome, but it's actually maybe a little bit narcissistic. <laughs> I just love people to be looking at me <laughs> and telling the, me the I'm first amazing. Answer, what's one thing that's such a solid flight? Myself. Myself. <laughs> I think it is though. Um, I do. I do love being the centre of attention, but but it's because I can see everyone having a good time. Yeah, I just love that. I just yeah. like on on the tour at the moment. I'm doing like a song that's very audience participation. Like everyone stands up and dances along. Oh, you said on the toilet. You said on the toilet. <laughs> on the toilet. That's true. I just need to be You're watched on the all the, the time. On, on tour. Sorry, on carry tour. on. On tour. <laughs> I really let you carry on. Then I was like, okay. But what's yeah, going on? Where, where's this going? <laughs> she needs an audience on the toilet. <laughs> that's my next show. In your head. <laughs> I just can't go unless there's no more. <laughs> so you know how people can't go and if someone's in next door, yes, I have to yes. have someone next door. I can't go. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. You're on tour. I love that you had this whole... I was like, I really hope she's going to follow through with this. Well, yeah. literally. <laughs> <laughs> Let's let's move on to um, the first time you <laughs> let's come off stage. Okay. Come out the toilet. Come out the toilet. <laughs> okay. Um, when was the first time that you started wearing makeup? <laughs> yeah. Probably literally when I was about three. Okay. Because uh, my mum <laughs> thrust me into the world of theatre. Okay. It's, I always say this is a bit of Stockholm syndrome, like you know, 
fall in love with your oppressor because I was forced into theatre, but I do love it and it's okay. part of my life yeah. and I can't escape it, even if I wanted to, which I don't. So she was on um, the Benny Hill show. <laughs> have you heard of the Benny Hill show? No. No, have you not? No. Wait, how old are you? 23. Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I wouldn't have even heard of it because it was like before my time. It was... Have you heard that song where it's like do 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 no yakety sax? I'll have to listen to it after. Maybe we can play it during. I mean, it's not like a bop. It's like a theme tune. Okay, I think you would probably. I don't know. Awful. You couldn't get away with it nowadays. Okay, the show. Yeah, it's like probably a bit degrading to women. Let's just say. But I'm proud of my mum. She was a dancer on that. Proud of her for doing it because it's like she was making that money. Okay. From she had a beautiful body. Yeah. You know, she was. It was good. It was feminism in that time. You know. So she was in theatre, she used to do modelling and all that, so she thrust me into the world <laughs> of arts. <laughs> yes, so I was doing dance competitions from the age of three. Okay, and was that because your mum saw something in you, or was this was this a way of your mum saying, I want you to carry on doing what I'm doing? Oh yeah, she wanted to. Uh, she wanted me to carry on the legacy. And yeah. I was forced to do it from yes. the age of three, but I haven't stopped doing it. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and there was points where I really didn't like it, like at drama college. I really had a horrible time with my weight and mm-hmm. um, eating disorders and being put on food diaries and I really didn't want to be there. But then I left and I was like, well, I still need to be doing the arts because mm-hmm. I love it so yeah, much. Yeah. I just didn't want to be skinny doing it. Yes. So did you did you go to school? Was this like what you did full time? What happened? Yes. Well, I still I went to like normal school. I didn't go from like really young, but I did like dance classes during school. Okay. And then when I left, I did like a foundation course in theatre and then I did a three-year course um, at another musical theatre school. Okay. So basically from the age of three to... 23 mm-hmm. so like 20 years I was in training for dancing okay amazing. And singing and performing uh, I had some amazing guests on here they have an Instagram page called beauty redefined mm-hmm. and they have a quote that says uh, your body is an instrument not an ornament mm-hmm. and that when I, when I first heard that quote, it changed my life because I feel like so many of the ways that women in particular are encouraged to use their body is to um, attract desirability. And even what you're saying about being skinny and dancing, that, that's a whole other thing. But using your body as an instrument makes me feel so empowered. I feel like my body is meant to be used as something to further my life and to bring me joy. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like dancing did that for you at that age or any age or...? I say it in maybe a different way. Yeah. <laughs> That's maybe a bit of a drag queen way of saying it. I love my body and, you know, it does wonderful things and it, and it carries me around from A to B and where I need to get to. But I effectively see it as a meat sack that carries me around. Yes, yeah. And I experience these a wonderful vessel. things. Exactly. Yeah. It is meat ultimately vessel. a vessel. Um, I think because of all the experiences with food and, like, negativity with it, I... I love it for what it is and I want to I want to give it the things that it enjoys doing. I want it to be healthy, but ultimately I don't want it to ruin my life experience mm. of all the things that I could be enjoying. It's hard to get to that place though, isn't it? Because yeah. we're saying these these things about using your body as an instrument and using it um, as a place to get from A to B, but I also have struggled with eating disorders as well. And I know that it's hard to even get to that place of recovery. And I feel like it's always an ongoing journey with uh, recovery from eating disorders and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, How has your relationship changed over the years through doing drag? Was that a way that you connected better to your body? Did it help you through any of that stuff? It absolutely did because... I was in drag. I was able to wear whatever I wanted and mm-hmm. be celebrated for that. My body became sort of part of my character. Everything was celebrated about it. I didn't have to look a certain way. I decided how I looked and people just had to take that and watch and enjoy okay. whatever was put in front of them. How old were you when you did that? Um, 25, 24, okay. 25. Quite late to start drag, maybe, I okay. guess. 
because I left dance college and I completely stopped dancing actually for about three years and okay. singing. Um, and I became a wedding planner for three years. Wow. Random. Wow. <laughs> I know. And then you came back to the yeah, yeah, I needed the attention. Yes. yes. Uh, so I was like, okay. So then I started, I did a pageant called Miss, Miss British Beauty Curve. Okay. And I won it, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and then was dabbling in the cabaret scene and then drag sort of came along, did a drag competition mm-hmm. and then it literally never stopped. Yeah. Back to what you were saying yeah. about um, how it changed the relationship with your body and mm-hmm. stuff. Yes. Um, I think it was just me sort of taking ownership of it. Mm-hmm. I think the pageant probably helped as well. Okay. Just being like, I this is me saying I'm fat. This isn't you saying I'm fat. Mm-hmm. It's me accepting it. Well, not even accepting it, just owning it and being like, I know. Mm-hmm. Like, you calling me fat. I know. I paid for yeah. this. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I paid for every calorie that yes, went in this yeah. <laughs> And I'm okay with it and I love it. And being celebrated for that and winning the damn thing. Yes, yes. absolutely. And then you went from that into drag. Yes. How was that transition? Um, and, and what inspired you to do drag? Had you picked up yeah. makeup before? Again, only through theatre. I think drag sort of embodies every single thing that I love and have been training towards throughout my life because I sing live in drag. I don't, mm-hmm. don't lip sync. Very okay. bad at lip syncing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, mainly because I can't learn the words, so yeah. I just make up my own words. <laughs> so it embodies like singing, um, incredible costumes, average makeup, mm-hmm. <laughs> wigs. I love doing wigs, comedy, uh, just being a bit of a tart on stage mm-hmm. and silly, making people laugh, entertaining, dancing. Well, more of a two step now, but yeah. uh, it just embodied everything that I love. I t- it honestly, I kind of fell into it accidentally because I wanted to find a way that I could still perform mm. and get attention. Yeah. <laughs> and drag seemed to be. That way, like, I'm obviously I was in queer spaces, um, exploring my sexuality, because I was also relatively late to come out mm. in my life. Um, and it just felt very natural. I think I was very much born to be a drag queen. Mm. I think there's no doubt about it. That's amazing. And also, your journey wasn't linear to getting to that place. I think so many people, if you're lucky, you find out what you want to do when you're young, and then you can just follow that path. Mm. Was you going to become a wedding planner, was it anything to do with... Uh, What's the word? Give up. Oh, no, 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 no. Give up. That's what happened. No. Um, oh, was that your way of rebelling against the the, the- theatrical yeah. upbringing? Or? Yeah, it was kind of me like, well, fine, if, if you know, to these dance colleges, if you think that I'm never going to work, I'm too too big to work, um, then I'll just be successful in another way. Okay. And I was kind of instantly successful somehow. Um, and I, you know, got a, a good paying, you know, job. Mm. Um, but it had no heart in it and I missed my calling yeah. in life. It sounds like you redefined success for yourself yeah. because if, you know, you said oh, I was successful because I was getting money and stuff, but... Yeah. That, that doesn't t- mean successful. No. I was so unhappy. And yeah. I would much rather be struggling artists doing the thing I love than having an okay job. Yeah. Not being in love with what I do. I know that we don't all have that luxury because it was very hard to get where I am now. Yes. Again, and we must say that constantly. Yes, say that so you don't think that I'm full of myself. Yes. <laughs> Just to remind you. Um, I did work hard to get here. Yeah. yeah, of course. <laughs> just got to throw it in yeah, there. So how I'm amazing. How would you? How would you? The toilet is still in my head. I know. I got <laughs> so how would you? Um, how would you define success for yourself now, having mm. been very successful and gaining this platform uh, through all of your work and everything you've done, showcasing your art, and also your craft has just obviously improved throughout the years. Mm. How would you define success now? It definitely wouldn't be financial because that's that's not really what I was ever after. Mm. Even going on Drag Race as a TV show, I didn't do it for the money. I did it so I could 
carry on doing my craft uh, and get booked easier because it was very difficult it gives for you me the to get bookings. To do what you love, doesn't uh, it? Absolutely, yeah. Because yeah. all my money goes straight back into drag because I just mm-hmm. love doing it so much. And I do have this kind of mentality. I don't know why. Probably, probably a, a problem. But of you know, it could all just go tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, this could all just be nothing tomorrow. I think there, there's two ways of looking at that kind of mindset. There's one that says that could be, you said you think it might be a problem. So you're probably thinking that it's like, oh, it's like a scarcity mindset. Fuck, if I don't act now, this could go. Mm -hmm. But also, I think there's a lot of gratitude in that and thinking, wow, if I woke up and all this was going to be gone tomorrow... Um, I would realise how good I had yeah. it. Didn't I have a fucking good time? Yes. my yeah. I, I had a manager say that to me uh, once when I published my first book. I was over-fucking-whelmed with the amount of people that were looking at me and listening to me suddenly. I did not expect it. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the other thing of like representation and going on TV or doing a book or whatever and it becoming... You become hyper-visible. Um, the other side of that is it's quite... Uh, overwhelming. I don't know if you found it that way, but I definitely mm. did. And I wasn't really ready for it. And then yeah, uh, my manager just said to me, I know it's like a bit weird at the moment, mate, because everyone's looking at you and talking about you and saying things and, and amazing things and weird things and horrible things. Um, and he was like, but imagine, he was like, I really want you to like bathe in your success. And I really want you to see what you're doing because mm-hmm. if you woke up tomorrow and it was all gone, can you fucking imagine how? Mm-hmm. And, and that that did change my perspective on it. So I think it is a good thing as well. To mm-hmm. That way of looking at it can also yeah. be a way of practicing gratitude. For yes, it. I do think it's that angle. Yeah. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. You have also spoke in Drag Race about fat jokes not being funny Mm -hmm. and how they can actually be quite triggering. Could you talk a bit about this? Because I feel like fat jokes in any kind of community Mm -hmm. can be thrown around. But what I find in um, queer communities is that there's almost... um, I've only really had this a few times, but there's more like lenience because we're queer that people kind of think they can throw these things around. Yeah. In drag as well, it's it's like... Well, maybe it's a bit more American. I don't know, this whole like shade throwing thing. Okay, it's it's like okay, you know, in friends, and if it's it's something we're all comfortable with, I don't know. It, it I I don't want to gatekeep what anyone says. You know, say what you want. Of course, and but, you're not, I'm not saying you're the spokesperson for anything. Exactly, yeah, and I yeah. definitely don't want to be. But <laughs> but it did happen on the show. Um, it, I think I don't know. I think it's always context and intent. This I say this with anything, any word. Mm. Um, someone literally asked me yesterday that a gay man was like, "Oh, I, like I can't really say dyke to you, can I?" And I was like. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what to say, but it's just the intent behind it. Like, if you're just saying it in a sentence, it's like, I don't know. Like, I'm not going to no, make the rules. I, 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 I know what you mean. Um, if you're calling me a fucking fat dyke, then probably not. Yes. And it's, and it's all, what always um, kind of makes me almost uncomfortable is, is when people say, like, what if I want to call you this? And it's like, mm-hmm. sometimes it sounds quite antagonistic. Mm-hmm. Like, when people are trying to be like, well, why can't I call you this? The yeah. same with, what do you want it? And yeah, right. Why so it's like, what power do you, let us have this one thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I thought that was really important to talk about. Yeah. 
it seems like the conversations follow me a lot. So maybe I will look back like, oh, well, I was a bit of a spokesperson for, for language in I, queer. I hate being um, positioned as some kind of spokesperson. It happens to me all the fucking time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it's fair to mm-hmm. put people as like the spokesperson on this massive pedestal of answering for an enormous community of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think it's, I think it was amazing when you spoke about it. And mm-hmm. it's something that we all need to talk about because mm-hmm. it's it's an intersection of feminism and identity that often gets overlooked and mm-hmm. people still assign it to morals and all this kind of stuff. It's just, yeah. just bullshit. I mean, drag uh, language is ever-evolving. And I think that we can be open to having that evolve. I think people are adamant on these words that they use, or just queer language, not even drag language, Um, that they, you know, oh, well, it's been here for this amount of time, therefore we must keep saying it. Well, no, because language is always evolving. Mm -hmm. Like, there is is misogynistic terminology used in queer culture and drag, especially. Like, I don't even know if people quite realise they even... They're even saying it or they know what it means. Yes, yeah. Some people, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, they, they kind of get really like aggressive like oh no it doesn't mean that straight away where it's like well you just don't know what it means you're just saying it because you've heard someone else mm-hmm. say it yeah. like I'll just use an example like the word fish is used in drag to say like you look like a biological woman okay because women have fishy smelling vaginas okay oh I didn't know that was why yeah. wow okay yeah not nice damn yeah but I guess if, if you're if you in the drag you world know. you don't know, don't know yeah yeah <clears throat> so we're not allowed we were not allowed to say that word on drag race that's one of our no words Wow. And motherfucker and cunt. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. I always get people asking me um, as though they're almost shocked that I could ever be a sad person because I'm such so joyful online, whatever, and I choose what I show. Yes. Um, people always ask me if I ever get sad and they're quite shocked by it. Do you ever feel like, um, as someone who appears to be so confident, that you struggle to let yourself have down days? Or, or do you accept all the parts and you're like, I'm feeling shit today and yeah. that's okay? I do totally accept that I feel shit sometimes. Yeah. Um, and my self-care can look different to someone else's. I do like to just sort of mong about at home if I get a day off. Yeah, I really yeah. take advantage of doing sweet fuck all okay. and I enjoy that. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm very aware that my my social media, my social profile is Victoria. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's not my real name. Yeah. Victoria isn't a real person. Yeah. Yes. But I like that. It's nice to have that yeah. that split. I've totally separated Victoria yes. from mine. And it's healthy. Oh, it's so healthy. For me. It might not be for someone else. No, it's very healthy. I've um I've been online um for about four or five years and I always wrestle with how much I want to share with people and how much I don't. And I think actually having uh some kind of caricature Mm -hmm. of myself would actually be easier Mm -hmm. because then the line is clearer there's so much going on in my life that I would naturally share online where where now I'm going no I don't want the world to know this this Mm -hmm. stuff that's going on with me and I think the the line is a lot harder to draw when it is you so it's Florence given it's it's no one else I don't have a an alter ego Mm -hmm. and I think that's a pretty cool fucking way of having that that boundary with what you share online how do you choose what you share online with your personal life or as Victoria (coughs) There is a bit of a furry line there because, especially with Twitter, I can get quite passionate and, and uh, political. Yes, that's um, definitely the place for that. Yes, <laughs> yeah. That's where careers go to die. Yes. <laughs> um, so Victoria is real in that sense. You know, my, my thoughts and beliefs that I share are always mm. real. So it is definitely tricky. And, you know, things that I'm very passionate about, I will always speak about. Don't care. I will never be on the fence if I'm passionate about something. Okay, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I, yeah, I don't even have like a out of drag 
Instagram mm. anymore. I just yeah. don't use it. I have my personal life and my girlfriend and my family and my, my chosen family. Um, and I think, I just think, would I want strangers to see certain things? Um, mm. Probably not. I don't have to share everything at all. No, you don't. And I feel I have completely grown up with social media embedded into every single, every single aspect of my life. I had like a Facebook account when I was... 10 mm -hmm. and I've always kind of been aware of this posting and live posting so it's very embedded into my life and I'm even hearing you say that you don't post as yourself online and you just post as Victoria and you know this you've got that lovely line between those two versions I'm inspired by that like I'm gonna go home and think about ways that I could somehow do that and I'm mm -hmm. not gonna come out with like some fucking drag costume on Instagram <laughs> and, please do yes and, what's your drag name pretend to be someone else um <laughs> but I'm I love that like I really would love something like that for myself I'm in a period at the moment where I'm definitely adjusting with what I want to share and what I don't mm -hmm. want to share because ultimately, social media is very indulgent, self-indulgent, and you're, you're you're putting something out there for other people to see yes. and enjoy. We choose everything we put out there. Yeah. So if I want my mum to see a photo of me, I'll just send it to her on WhatsApp. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> the world doesn't need to see it as well. So, Victoria, mm -hmm. thank you so much for chatting with me. I'm it was awful. I'm it was horrible. <laughs> Trauma. <laughs> I'm, I'm now going to go into the listener questions. This yeah. is stuff that my audience would love to ask you. Um, Blank page. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Thank you for having Why me. Oh, <laughs> um, that's everything for today. <laughs> okay. Who's like, she? Who's okay. Victoria Scott? All right. All right. Here we go. Okay. First question. My girlfriend and I are both. I can ask this one as well. My girl. My girlfriend and I are both very femme and so aren't taken seriously. Do you have any tips on handling this? The first thing that comes to my head is how in queer spaces sometimes. If you look femme, it's like, one, good luck even getting into a yes. queer space because, oh, you can't possibly be gay. Yes. Queer. I completely, as a femme queer person myself, I understand the thing of like wanting to be accepted by your community and wanting to be recognised. Even on the conversation of gender, that feeling that people describe as gender euphoria is mm -hmm. it matching how you're feeling on the inside, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing with being femme and queer or gay is that when people don't recognise you for how you feel on the inside, there's that friction. And that's personally what I've experienced is that um, people don't take your sexuality seriously. And then, like you said, there's accepting that reality because there's absolutely nothing you can do about it unless you want to get like, if, unless you want to dr dramatically change your appearance and mm -hmm. then you're just living to please yeah, other people. Yeah, which you shouldn't do. Which you shouldn't do. Um, so then, yeah, the other side of the coin is accepting it and being that kind of representation. And I kind of love the thrill of shocking people. Mm -hmm. So like men will hit at me and someone I want to date with at a bar thinking that these are just two pretty girls who dressed up and it's like, we're on a date. And I love it when their mm -hmm. face is like, oh, what, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. And I actually had this guy once say to me, um, he was fighting with a girl I was on a date with. And I was like, mate, we're on a date. Like, we're literally holding hands. And he was like, oh, no, no, don't worry, I'm into that. And they always try oh, to insert oh, themselves. It's like, no, well, can't you see? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think there's some beauty in it try to find the beauty in it because again like we said there's nothing you can do about it unless yeah. you want to change your appearance which you shouldn't do for anyone if no. that's how you feel yeah. so um my tip would be acceptance yeah yeah yeah, yeah. don't give a fine fuck yes yeah <laughs> unless it's for you like yeah if, if it's if you want to feel like you look more whatever queer is yeah. <laughs> if whatever you think then fine but if it's for someone else please don't yeah. don't give a fine fuck yeah yeah 
Amazing. Okay, next question. How do queer beauty standards differ to cishet beauty standards? Is there a queer beauty standard? I think they're probably, I think it's probably filters in from the dominant beauty standard just in the queer community. Yes, but kind of like the subject we just touched on, do you look queer enough? Like whatever that Mm. is, because I think again, like you said at the beginning, I'm in a bit of a bubble where we're all queer, we're all sort of playing with gender that maybe there isn't at all you could just express yourself however the hell you want like today I came in and I was like oh I need to apologize like I've come from, straight from tour kind of thing and I was like I think you're the last person to judge me really yes like, yeah 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 at of all. course and like I've literally got my hairy legs out right <laughs> me too twenties <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I'd, I'd like to think there isn't I think actually I can't speak for them but gay men do have a rough time from from listening and from yeah. being around it, I think there probably is. Well, I know there is awful um, expectations of of how you should look and who you, who people want to sleep with. Um, yeah, and and pe- people look for different things, don't they? Mm-hmm. So when this person's asking, what's the difference between a queer beauty standard and a cishet beauty standard? I feel like the cishet beauty standard. So let's say for straight women and straight men, um, it's that women are generally speaking supposed to be skinny mm-hmm. big hips big boobs mm-hmm. but then also that's fucking changing every day isn't mm-hmm. it and there's like a new insecurity that's created every single day mm-hmm. and even in the queer community i don't really know i think when i came out as queer i started to love all the quote unquote imperfections yeah. so like i started to find bacne hot like I'd, I'd, I'd have sex with a girl for the first time and i was like oh my god she has bacne she has a hair on her nipple and i was like oh my god i've that's never hot. seen this i was <laughs> fucking sexy and then i started yeah. to like that, that stuff in myself and like wonky boobs and yeah. and seeing all of this stuff that um made me feel more comfortable with my body as well mm-hmm. um so yeah i think queer people and straight people have a different experience with and again there, there'll be some queer women who are like fuck i hate all of that stuff still about myself yeah. so it, it looks different for everyone it but, does very much that yeah but for me clearly i don't give a shit about beauty standards and for some reason my girlfriend is obsessed with me so that's oh all my I god care about. oh my god no i just i love love to hear it. it makes me so happy yeah and i feel like that that kind of love also it helps you see yourself in a different way doesn't yeah. it? when someone looks at you like that yeah she's like a lamb on a teach honestly oh. <laughs> quite literally okay um, <laughs> on to the next question do you have some advice for someone who's going through body image issues or eating disorders right now mm-hmm. not to sound negative because it probably gets better but I don't think you never really doesn't really leave you. You just find different ways to manage it and cope with it, and work your daily life around it. Those things are always going to be triggering, aren't they? So it doesn't yeah. matter how far you've come on your healing and your recovery journey. There are always going to be situations that you don't feel comfortable with, and I think uh, one of the most beautiful things you can do on your recovery journey is look at your recovery journey and go fuck, I'm not doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. Or um, look how far I've come. I can be in this situation, and I didn't react that way any anymore. And I think perhaps it's um, looking at the, how far you've come, mm. which could be helpful. Yes, yeah, I agree. I think I've got to a point where again, I, I don't don't give a damn, and I love my meat vessel sack <laughs> for what it does. <laughs> and, me and, and would you say if you could summarize it? And again, it's years and years and years and years and years 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 worth of work. But how have you got to this place where you're accepting your, your meat vessel sack? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, it's definitely been years and years. Yeah. Um, doing different things like pageants, which may seem very extreme, but me actively finding something 
where I can see myself as beautiful or handsome. Finding someone that loves me probably definitely helped. I love that because I, I'm i a massive advocate for self-love mm-hmm. and I also don't think you can do it by yourself. Mm-hmm. I do think you need these people around you yeah. to mirror it back to you, it to mirror your worth back. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it definitely does. And again, I have got to a good place, but it's still it's still always growing and changing and evolving. Like we it's said, still always a journey. There is no end point, really. No. I will say that taking yourself away from situations that are triggering, even if it's a really bad thing, like mm. family, if you have to take yeah. yourself away from something that you should not, really, then you have to do that. Mm. Some things are really triggering for me that I have to remove myself from for periods of time that is probably quite sad but I have to do it for my own mental yeah, health yeah and so, sometimes it's like the stress can be can lead to the eating disorder mm-hmm. thing again you can be like oh it's all good and well and then you're stressed and then it happens and it flares yeah. up again so whoever sent in that question I wish you the best of luck on your recovery journey mm-hmm. and um try to look at how far you've come as mm-hmm. well okay the last question I have here do you have any advice for dealing with parents who don't accept how you dress as an adult oh my god that's that's close to home okay god love my mum but she does make comments about my short hair now okay um probably not the best way to deal with things but uh she she'll like send me photos of me with long hair like oh I miss this and I literally reply I'm so much happier now and I feel more like myself it's just hair mm. <laughs> would you not rather your child be really happy and comfortable with themselves and living their best life mm. than look the way you want them to yeah and then she's fine yeah I think <laughs> um relationships with parents when it comes to um image as well I, when I used to have really long hair, my mum used to really love my long hair as well. And I think the people around you kind of adjust to this new version. It's like they go through this mourning thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen trans people talk about how their parents have like mourned the loss of their child. And then I saw, I saw this amazing tweet that was something like, that's something that people need to do privately because while you're thinking about what you've lost, you need to think about what this person is gaining. Mm-hmm. And that is the thing that needs to be celebrated. Mm-hmm. So while it's so expected to grieve the loss of, um, you know, who you thought someone was going to be. Even when I came out as queer, one of the first, first things that I was asked by a family member was, will I still get grandkids? That's I, what my mum said oh, when I came it's, out. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, almost, it's almost textbook. It's like they all read from the same script about yeah. what the shitty things to say. Yeah. Um, and I said, I never That's said weird. I was going to give you kids anyway. Like Amen. that was that was never on, that was never on the cards. <laughs> no. Like I never said that. Um, but That's expected y- of us. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, the grieving, I feel, of whatever life people thought you were going to have, that's understandable that that needs to be grieved, but it does need to be grieved privately because the person who is stepping out of that shell and is stepping into themselves, whatever version of themselves that they're on their way to becoming, that's the thing that needs to be celebrated. I find that the easiest way to articulate what's going on in my mind sometimes is to address myself a certain way. And I feel like since it's hard to articulate yourself on a first impression, the first thing that people see is how you look and that there's no better feeling than that matching up with how you feel inside. And maybe just explain to to your parent or your parents or your family members who aren't agreeing with it that this is what you need to do to feel how you feel on the inside mm-hmm. it's like does the curtain match the drapes like yes <laughs> this is my external oh, yes. <laughs> matching my internal yes yeah and yes. I'm just choosing how to project myself and really that's none of your business like as, as a parent like exactly I am myself I am not your child forever like well I am but you know yeah. that's I'm, I don't belong to you forever <laughs> <Not> forever <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> this <ends> today. <laughs> okay, exactly. I love that. Excommunicated from the family. Yes. <laughs> Gorgeous ending. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my. 
my God, that was fucking wonderful. I haven't laughed so much in so long. I really hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Victoria Scone today. Scone, Scone, however you want to pronounce it. I think there's like a national debate about that. Victoria was so interesting to talk to and I just resonate with her on so many levels. And one thing I'm definitely going to take away from this episode, which I wasn't expecting to, is considering creating an alter ego online. I fucking love the sound of that. I'm not sure I'll follow through with it, but I love the idea of it. I love the idea of having a very separate life offline and online and being able to have that clear division. Thank you so much again to Victoria for joining me today and to all of you for listening. You can find Victoria on Instagram at at Victoria Scone. And join me next week for an episode with probably the world's most famous psychologist, the holistic psychologist. I can't wait to talk to her. I'll see you next week. If you've enjoyed listening, then please do share it with your friends. To keep updated with all of the latest episodes as they drop, you can follow exactly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And remember, we want to hear from you. Every month, we'll be taking your calls, your texts, and your voice notes for our call-in episode. We'll be discussing topics around money, relationships, queerness, body image, all kinds of stuff. If you'd like to ask a question or speak to my guest and I, please get in touch on WhatsApp. The number is plus four four seven eight nine zero three zero two six six five. And don't forget you can join me every week for Ask Floss where I answer all of your questions from building confidence with your body hair to setting relationship boundaries and even my preference on cats or dogs. It's cats. Subscribe to Extra Floss to listen right now. Visit extrafloss.com to start your free trial and get access wherever you listen to your podcast or you can visit exactly on Apple Podcasts and hit try free at the top of the page. And a massive thank you to the incredible Black Honey who composed the original theme music for the show. They're fucking amazing. You can find them on Instagram at at blackhoneyuk and you can check out their latest album written and directed. This is a Something Else and Sony Music Entertainment production. My producer is Millie Chows, assistant producer is Ella McLeod, executive producer is Carly Mayo, and the production coordinator is Lily Hambly. And I want to give a special thanks to Chris Skinner, Jonathan Imieri, Ryan O'Meara and Teddy Riley for additional production. And thanks to our engineers, Jay Beale, Josh Gibbs and mix engineer, Gulliver Tickle. 